Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 54 of Pigskins and Nylon, brought to you by Tabkeys.com, best Delta 8 edible on the market. I'm Wally Lukashensky, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friends and co-hosts, Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. It's Super Bowl week, guys. I need to know, Bengals and Rams, Hayden, you got a lot of Bengal fans in your family. Casey, more the Steelers side. You guys going with the Rams or the Steelers? You guys going with the Rams or the Bengals this Sunday? Oh man, I wish it was the Steelers. I <laughs> I heard you almost say that. So somebody asked for my expert advice earlier today on on if I was betting on the game or not, and I told them to take the Bengals plus three and a half, and so um, that's what I'm going with. But I think I have the Rams winning by a field goal. And to be honest with you, I think whichever team wins is going to win by a field goal. So I think I'm leaning Rams, but I would, I honestly would not be surprised if the Bengals won. So we have one person betting Rams, probably rooting for him too. Hayden, what about you? Family, you riding with the Bengals? I am the biggest pessimist. 27-21 Rams is my prediction. I don't know what it is. It just feels like such a special year for the Bengals. It's going to be a really close game. It feels like it can be a really special Super Bowl. When you like compare position groups down all the way on both sides, it's about 60-40 Rams. But then you go, hey, they have Joe Burrow. They have the edge with Evan McPherson. Maybe that's going to be it. So I'm going, I don't know, I'm going to be the opposite as you, be the optimist since I am rooting for the Bengals this weekend. I'm going to say 31-28, but I'm with you, Casey. I think it's a field goal one way or another. I was just going to mention, Wally, real quick. Um, one of the teachers at my school today, he's a big-time Bengals fan. He had all the students predict the score, and they all th- – this is eighth, seventh and eighth grade class, so, you know, they, they kind of know football. And one, one kid predicted the Bengals to win 50-40. to 40. And I was like, oh, my gosh, if that, if that score happens, that would be a, a really fun game. I'm, do, I'm doing great, man, really – Looking forward to this weekend. I know we mentioned it last episode, but this week of Michigan basketball is really, really big. And, you know, since they ended up losing to Purdue on, I forget if it was Saturday or Sunday, it makes tonight's game at Michigan a a must win, in my opinion. I don't think you can get that 10th loss this early in the season and and still make a, a tournament run. So looking forward to that. And then obviously looking forward to the Super Bowl on Sunday. Aiden, how about over on your end? Anything crazy in your world? Basketball. You guys end up on SportsCenter again this week? No, actually, basketball season is winding down. We have four regular season games to go, and then we have one postseason and possibly more if we win, so we'll see how that goes. But actually, our, our tournament game is on February 23rd, which is the same day that my wife is due with our child, so I won't be there pretty much no matter what happens. So the Coach Baker and Coach Holman will be battling on their own with that one. But no, just like you guys, I'm looking forward to uh, the Super Bowl this Sunday. And I'm still trying to collect myself after Ohio State's four-minute meltdown that they, they had at the end of the game. Like I, I'm sure we'll get into it, but uh, I for a regular season game in early February, I've never been that pissed about a basketball game ending the way that did because it felt like a sure win with four minutes to go. I mean, just the way that the game was played. So I, we'll get into it later, but I'm reeling on that one. You should be. We're kind of used to this as Buckeye fans now seeing leads late evaporate. But before we get into that, I wouldn't forgive myself if you had your kid this next week and we didn't at least talk about it for a second. This has happened so quickly, these nine months. You mentioned this last week to me. That you were, what, within a month here of the, like, the date. And I couldn't wrap my head around it. What is going through your mind? Less than two weeks there, bro. Yeah, because I'm going crazy. I can't imagine you're about to be a dad. Yeah, you know, nine months seems like a long time. But when it's happening, it goes by so quick. I I guess I'm a little anxious. You know, obviously, I've never been through this process before. And, you know, just going through everything, you know, hoping everything goes well, because I literally have no control over any, anything. There's nothing that I can really do to help, uh, at least at this, you know, at this stage in the game. So just hoping everything goes well. And actually, you know, Masson actually hasn't been having like any 
weird cravings or like any like you got to go get this or to get this. But last night I called her on the way home from work or no from uh, basketball practice, and we have this little ice cream shop in Faustoria, and I went and picked her up ice cream Sunday because she was really really looking forward to one. So I'm like, ah, I'll just go pick one up. But yeah, no, I, I don't know. This is it's crazy. We're we're within two weeks, and the doctor says everything looks good and everything is going the way that it should. So I guess like uh, Joel Embiid says, trust the process. That's awesome. Can't wait to hear it. You guys will know because I'm sure Hayden will probably be gone for a week or so once that does happen, and we'll let you guys know on the details. But we'll get into now why we're here. Get into some Big Ten talk here. Casey, as always, we'll throw it over to you. You'd imagine, at least I would, it's probably a pretty slow week bearing that last week was signing day. Was there any late signees that made this at least interesting this week? No late signees for the class of 2022, but there were a decent amount of commits actually for the class of 2023. So I will list off the the ones that I felt like were significant. First and foremost, Penn State lands a nice four-star offensive tackle. Javen Williams from the state of Pennsylvania Um, He's a a top 100 guy, so really highly recruited guy, and just adding to an absolutely great start that Penn State has for this 2023 recruiting cycle. They have the uh, third-ranked class in the the country so far with, you know, you can take that with a grain of salt. They have eight commits, so off to a really good start, though, for James Franklin. Michigan lands a three-star speedster, is what I wrote there, really. Uh, Running back Cole Cabana. Out of Michigan, you know, he, he's a borderline four-star guy. Chose Michigan over Michigan State, so that's a pretty good get. Northwestern gets a commit from three-star quarterback Aiden Gray out of Illinois. Northwestern also landed a three-star athlete, Frank Covey, out of the state of Illinois. And then finally, Michigan State gets a quarterback commit, three-star quarterback Bo Edmondson out of the state of Texas committed to the Spartans. So a couple quarterbacks there the past week that committed to our Big Ten schools. So that's interesting to see if those, you know, kind of lower, I guess not for Northwestern and Michigan State. I wouldn't consider consider a three-star a, a low-rated guy, but we'll see if these guys can make a name for themselves uh, as a starting quarterback in the Big Ten. I had read a report this week that Michigan State's, I think it was 2023 class, is already up to the fifth in the country. Is that more of the timing of this right now where other classes haven't filled out as much or is this actually a really strong class you know anytime you can get into the top five which they're at number five right now I would consider that a a good thing even though it is very early they only have five commits so it's not like everybody else has you know 10 and they have five and they're sitting at number five still so like I said with Penn State take it with a grain of salt not everybody is deep into this 2023 recruiting cycle yet and also like Michigan is number six they only have five commits Ohio State is at number 11 they have four commits so it's very very early in the process a lot of these big time commits uh, or recruits don't like to commit this early except for Ohio State's about to get a big one here I think with what and within the next week Hayden next week a week from today February 17th Luke Montgomery is making his college decision. Also, fun fact about this 2023 class so far, USC, I know this is not Big Ten related, but we were talking about this in our group chat. USC could have a special, special class with the way that their early couple commit. They only have three commits, but all three of them are in the top 25, and they're all obviously five stars, and that includes the number two player in the nation, which is a quarterback, which is always a huge like building stone in your recruiting class. So watch out for USC in this class because they could be onto something very, very special. So one of one of the key things that I have kind of picked up on over the past few years in determining how a class usually finishes, obviously the finish how you close out on signing day is is obviously very key. But if you get off to a hot start, like what USC and, for instance, Penn State have gotten off to, more 
top athletes want to go to that school if you have three five-star kids already committed. You know what I'm saying? So, Well, well yeah, and, and think about it this way. This is for every school, you know, every school in the country. You get your top prospects committed early in the class. You have so much more capital to start going after, like, expanding. Maybe if USC gets their top three guys, they're like, oh, oh crap, we already got these guys. We feel confident that they're going to stick. We can start expanding a little more than what we already were, and we can find some guy who might be interested in us that we never even would have thought of, and who knows, that guy could be a top 100 guy still. So it's just, yeah, exactly, Casey. And, and getting off to that start, we always talk about the finish, but the start to a class is sometimes just as important as that. I could not agree more, Aiden. Well said. When you saw with Quinn Ewers in Ohio State when he was before an Ohio State enrollee, they had that little fun thing where that class all were changing their profile pictures to the same kind of thing, and it almost became like this brotherhood. And, of course, he leaves, so that's kind of – I'm saying brotherhood. <laughs> but, you know, it's it, – there's that creating the brotherhood beforehand where I guess it makes sense that we would have a somewhat busy week today or this week after the signings last week. You want to follow some of these guys and go create something special. At least that's the way I kind of read it from afar. Yep. Absolutely. And I I wanted to, so there was an update on 247 rankings too. So I, I better give credit. I said that Cole Cabana, the three-star running back out of Michigan that committed to Michigan was a three-star. He now is a four-star ranked 319 nationally. So typical Michigan bump. Oh, don't even dude. Don't even go there. That is hilarious. Nothing will ever <laughs> beat the Bama bump. That's for damn sure. I agree. The Bama bump is is massive, but it seems like when Ohio State gets those 300 to 450 recruits, they're up in the top 100 within the next couple months after they commit to Ohio State. It is what it is. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. The quarterback from Utah. The quarterback from Utah with Ohio State, wasn't he like a a high-ish four, and now he's like the top quarterback in the class? Yeah, I I would love to look that up, actually, because – I'm pretty sure that C.J. Stroud was the, the same exact way because Michigan was trying to recruit him pretty hard. And at first, I was like, why Like, why are they going so hard after this kid? Then he just took a massive jump. I'm going to look that up real quick. If- I actually, Casey, I already have it up on my screen. He committed oh, to – like Devin Brown? Yeah, I have Devin Brown on my screen. Okay. Sorry. He committed to Ohio State on December 1st. And looking at the, the rankings – so he actually climbed before, like when Ohio State, I guess, started being on his radar. He went from the 95th overall player in the class on August 20th to the 58th on October 20th. So in a two-month, he jumped 40 spots. And then after he committed to Ohio State, he climbed another 16 spots. So I don't know how to take that. But also, I don't know how this works either because August 4th of 21, he was the 147th rated player. But then two weeks later, he was the 95th. So he jumped 60 or 50 spots. And when was that? In two weeks, August. So almost four months before he committed. Any yeah. ideas, Casey? I, I don't. And that's that used to mind-boggle me when, like, guys would just – for instance, right here, I have C.J. Stroud's um, history up. So February 28, 2019, he was the 860th-ranked player in the country, got bumped up three months later to 5'11", and then bumped up two months later to 252. And in that five months, he was not playing any football. You know what I'm saying? So that used to always confuse me how, and like how these guys are moving up 600 spots. But I guess it's more time for recruiting experts to analyze the film or. Well, it, it is camp related too. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. So now I've kind of, understood why so like i mentioned cj stroud was 860 and by the end of his senior year he was up to 41st in the country so massive bump there for the now ohio state heisman finalists they look pretty good right now i suppose yeah i mean they were right (laughs) let's switch gears now hayden we're gonna have you if you don't mind give us an update since last week we recorded on what was it wednesday we're going to do the last eight days of recap in Big Ten Hoops, then get some first thoughts from all of us, and then dive into maybe some of the top dogs in the conference. 
Yeah, Wally, we, we've had an action-packed week with a lot of things happening and a lot of parts kind of moving around here. Going back to last Wednesday, since that was the last day that we recorded, Purdue uh, handled Minnesota pretty well. And unfortunately for Minnesota, we kind of ragged on them all preseason. And I, I would say that they're better than what we thought maybe they were, but they've been not very good in conference play. Uh, so they're really struggling. Illinois beat Wisconsin. Kofi Cokeburn had a crazy game, 37 points, 12 rebounds uh, to lead the Illini in that one. Iowa at Ohio State got canceled because of some weather issues and whatnot. Nothing on Friday. Saturday, Purdue beat Michigan by six. Hunter Dickinson had a really good game in their loss. He really, you know, kept Michigan in that game throughout. Wisconsin beat Penn State by two in a low-scoring game. Rutgers actually beat Michigan State and beat them pretty good at home. That place has been scary to play at, just as pretty much anybody uh, that's been at home, including number one Purdue, Michigan, don't Michigan ask State, Quad Iowa. Lafayette. Yeah, except for Lafayette. That was the only team that seemed to be able to get them at home. It's unbelievable. And now, you know, Ohio State last night going down to them, too. Illinois beat Indiana and Northwestern absolutely just destroyed Nebraska. Nebraska, sorry guys, but I don't know. Not your year. Is McGowan's going to come back next year or is he ready to, to jump? Who knows, I guess. Uh, on Sunday, Ohio State looked really, really good. Beat Maryland by 15 at home. Liddell had a very good game. Iowa beat Minnesota. Keegan Murray scored 24, had 15 rebounds. He is you know, still my pick. Well, I don't know. Tulsa, but he still might be my pick for player of the year. Johnny Davis in Wisconsin beat Michigan State at Michigan State. I believe that was, right? Yeah. So Johnny Davis in Wisconsin beat Michigan State on the road. That's a huge win for them uh, as they, you know, try to stay atop with Purdue at the top of the conference. Purdue absolutely dominated Illinois in the second half. Jaden Ivey, huge, just like he always is. 22 points in, in the second half of that one. Michigan. Gets a win on the road. We, we we say this every time. Every time you get a win on the road in the Big Ten, it's big. I don't care if it was by one point. That's a big win for Michigan. It's, it's a step forward and gives them a chance tonight to defend home court and, and really make a push for the tournament. And Northwestern actually beat Indiana, which kind of surprised me. That brings us to last night. Ohio State massively choked at Rutgers. You know, that place has been a house of horrors for everybody, but that game felt like it was in the bag for Ohio State, and they blew that one. And Nebraska beat Minnesota, who is in complete free fall in conference play. Yeah, that was a really hard way to follow up the Ohio State Rutgers fantastic game to have a combined two conference wins on the line going in. And I guess good for Nebraska. They got one and we weren't really sure they would. Casey, I saw your hand up. What were you wanting to say? Yeah, no, I was just going to give credit to Nebraska for their first Big Ten win. I, was it last week or two weeks ago where we set the over-under at, what was it, three and a half or two and a half? It was no way three and a half. Was it Was it two and a half then? Dude, I thought it was a half. I thought we set it at a half. Oh, no, we did not. That would have been hilarious, though. But, no, so I'm pretty sure I took the over on the, I thought, two and a half. So, two more. That's all. That's all we need in Nebraska. Hayden, to go off of your point, Keegan Murray is your player of the year right now in the Big Ten? Well, I kind of stopped myself when I said that because it's changed within the last week. But he has been really good, though. I mean, he has been. Yeah, and no disrespect to him at all because he has been absolutely balling. But I could make a case for about six other guys that deserve it. Well, yeah, that's how loaded the Big Ten is this year. I know, I know. And I don't even think that... Like the statistically best player, which is, I would say, Johnny Davis with points, rebounds, assists, is going to win it either or should win it necessarily because obviously I've been watching more Purdue the past few weeks than I have early on in the season. And Jaden Ivey is that dude. Like he he is good. He makes that team roll. And I, I think he deserves player of the year if I had to vote right now. I agree with that, Casey, but... If you're going to also just talking on Keegan Murray for a second is if you got guys like Hunter Dickinson getting like left off the wooden final 20 list because of team success, you have to do the exact same for Keegan Murray. While yes, they'll make the tournament, that's locked in. 
but they're, what, a six or a seven seed. It's not like they're doing anything special. Jaden Ivey has Purdue poised to be a national title favorite going into the tournament right now. He's been unbelievable. And that's actually good. I wanted to start with Purdue. I've got a few just little talking points I wanted to get your guys' opinion on. But as of today, I think all three of us can agree that Purdue is the best team in the Big Ten right now. Is that fair? Yeah, after after last week, I don't think that, you know, you could argue another team, in my opinion. They will not be underdogs in a game the rest of this year. I don't think, right, in conference play, they won't be underdogs against anybody. I mean, they play at Wisconsin, but I don't think they would be dogs in that one. There's a chance that they're not dogs, period, the rest of the year. If they have the right path go down into the NCAA tournament, too, there's probably, what, two or three teams that you would favor against them right now? But the whole reason, and I'm not even saying like, I'm saying that at most, two or three teams. But what I wanted to say is if we are agreeing on this, I wanted to get your opinions on, do you, who would you take right now? Purdue or the Big Ten field to get farther in March Madness? Purdue, I think, just because I don't know how anybody matches up to them at all. With the size that they have, plus guys, their their perimeter guys are unbelievable. They have a they have a a, a sniper who can shoot from pretty much anywhere. And what is Stefanovic, I think is his name. And of course, Jay Ivey, who very possibly could have been Player of the Year. I don't know how anybody matches up, and I would not. If this is the if they don't go to the Final Four, they they never will. If they don't win a title this year, I don't think it, they will because this is literally the best Purdue team that I've seen in probably my lifetime. Hayden, that, that is a great point, and, and I completely agree, too. This team is deep, man. They have Travion Williams coming off the bench because they have a massive seven-foot-four dude that's really just as good, in my opinion. In my opinion, they just provide a little bit different of a big-man style, and your Stefanovic can stroke it, man. Jaden Ivey can stroke it, and he is so fast, too. I'm I'm – not looking forward to him blowing by Devontae Jones tonight, but he's probably going to have a nice little 20-piece tonight on, on Michigan. But I agree, man. This team is this team is good. They're explosive, too, right here. They, they have scored at least 80 points in eight of their last nine games. They can run it up on you, too. Can we talk for a minute? And, I, I, and this, he doesn't get talked of, talked enough about how unselfish Travion Williams is. That dude averaged 15 points a game last year, and he is now coming off the bench to make his team better. Like, that's super, like, you know, we don't we don't see that happen very much, I don't think. And especially a guy of his caliber. I mean, Ohio State fans know watching that Big Ten tournament game they played, that guy lit Ohio. They, they could not guard him. He scored like 40 points. They could not guard him. And that dude is coming off the bench now, and it makes Purdue even stronger. I think that's one of the most untalked about things in our conference so far. I'm happy you brought it up too, because he's not only coming off the bench, and you knew that he was going to still get good minutes, but it's five minutes fewer per game, and that's awesome too, because he's fresher. And on top of that, either one of those bigs, if they get in foul trouble, you have an awesome piece that almost anyone else in the country would kill for that is going to be able to step in. And you'd imagine both guys aren't going to foul out in a game. And while they are very different, it's like you said, Casey, like Zach Eady, 7-4, there's a like a, a mental thing that goes into it when you're on the floor with someone that long. It, it you, You're scared to take shots. You're scared to go inside. So it's just a really fun dynamic. And Shasha Stefanovic, for Ohio State fans out there, to me, he's kind of like a diet John Diebler. He's a guy that is perfect to stretch the floor. He can shoot it from 30 feet out if you want him to. And he's just such a pure shooter, does everything right. And when you have a guy like Jaden Ivey too, this team right now, of course you got to take Purdue over the rest of the Big Ten because I think you got to take Purdue over just about anyone else in the country right now. Right now, that's very hard to argue, Wally. So I'm right there with you, man. But to touch on Travion Williams real quick, that that is in this day and age, you don't see you don't see that happen. He could have easily hopped in that portal and went to a big time place. But you know, I I respect the hell. Ohio State would have been knocking down the doors to take that guy. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I respect the hell out of his decision to 
stick it out. And I, I'm sure he knew he trusted Matt Painter and knew the talent that was coming back or, and or coming in to Purdue and really wanted to give it a shot to win a national championship. And I, I'm happy for him that they're, they look like they have an opportunity to do that this year. Let's switch gears to another topic here now. Ohio State, I know we talk about them a lot, but I almost wanted to bring them up for a couple reasons. One, Seth Towns is named he's going to be done for the year. They officially shut him down, which is a bit of a, it's less of a loss since you haven't had him, but it's that idea that you had him coming back locked and loaded for March. But on top of that, this team blew another late lead. It's become kind of a fixture. It, it's a staple of what has happened in Holtman's era as Ohio State head coach. At what point, if like Ohio State gets bounced in the first round or the second round this year, do they look to potentially change at head coach? I would have to lean with no. What are Ohio State's expectations? Exactly. You, you know what I'm saying? Like Basketball-wise, I don't think they're near as high as what they are for football and I just kind of think that maybe getting to the sweet 16 is is their best you know and that's that's no shot at Ohio State like I don't know why Hayden's giving me a weird face right now I just I don't think they have the talent that other teams do really or the or the depth and I would I was going to mention this as well I think whenever Justice Suey comes back this team is going to be a lot better I don't know what his deal is or, you know, haven't really heard about him much lately. But once he comes back, I think this Ohio State team will start playing a little better, hopefully. I'm going to disagree with Casey a little bit. Now, I do not think that Ohio State's expectations should be Final Four every single year. But I think the expectations are that they should be consistently going to elite eight every year. I don't think sweet 16 is the best that this program can offer. And, you know, I I don't know. Holman's been there for a few years now, but I think his best class is going to be next year. It's ranked number five right now in the country. And, you know, I hate saying wait, wait for him to get this class in because it's always wait for the next class as well. But, I think this next class has some some really good pieces that are going to contribute early. How do you shake the the blowing a lead with f- five minutes to go? It seems like four or five times a year, every single year that it's been that Ohio State's been under Holtman. That's the thing that I keep going back to. And no, I don't think that they will ever or should move on because he's had pretty he's had pretty good results. I would say. But it's like always those what-if games that they they always find a way to lose. Last night felt like a game they should have won. They had the ball up eight with four minutes to go in a game that was never outside of five points the entire time. And you're up by eight with four minutes and you somehow lose. So I, I don't know how to fix it or I don't know what the solution is. But I don't think the solution is getting rid of Chris Holtman. I don't think we're having this conversation at all if Oral Roberts doesn't happen last year. And because, because first of all, that last year, going into the Big Ten tournament, we were having a lot of these same kind of feelings and concerns about being able to close out games, being able to beat the press, being able to not only once you beat the press, to be able to hit an open shot. And we haven't seen that now consistently multiple years. But with that loss that happened last year, it felt like there was almost this confidence that was sucked out of the team a little bit, where now it's they're almost waiting and looking for that thing to go wrong. And if that is in there, you don't fix that. I don't think that is fixable with the current regime. But if that's not the case, maybe they make the second weekend this year, then yeah, I think you stick with Holtman. But I really do think that the results of that first and second, hopefully second, games of the NCAA tournament for Ohio State this year are going to really mean a lot to the future of the program. Ask me again if Ohio State gets bounced in the first round. Will do. I wanted to just ask because this feels like the best the bigs in the Big Ten have ever been. Every night it feels like there's a battle of Goliaths, whether it's even at the middle of the pack in the standings right now. 
at this point, if we had to do a redraft of what we did earlier in the year, if you could have one of these bigs on your team, any of them, who would you take right now and why? Oh, man. that That's a great question. You know, I think the two most productive big men statistically are still Kofi Coburn and Hunter Dickinson. I, like, Johnny Davis, is. you want to consider him a big man, even though he kind of plays with... Uh, I probably would say no. Yeah, so... But in terms of impact on the floor, the two guys that we mentioned, you know, Zach Eady and Travion Williams are two that I don't even know. I think one of us had Travion Williams. That might have been you, Wally. Yes, sir. <laughs> so I, I think I would still go with the, the two preseason... What's the word I'm looking for? Mock fake mock draft of ours. Yeah, preseason favorites. Yeah, there you go. Man, I that's that's so tough. I you just watch the way that Edie changes the game around him at Purdue. I know his stats like are out of this world or out really super good, and I know he's being outproduced by some guys, but he changes the game in ways that really changes how people play. I don't know. That's so tough. Ah. Uh, I'm still going to go with Kofi, I think. But Edie is like right there for me. He's like right there. We're all, we have the same three. It's definitely those three, I think, at this stage. I think the difference for me, it's, it's top two, I think, would narrowly be Hunter Dickinson and Kofi Coburn. But their difference of style of play, it's just simply, you're going to be able to stretch it a little bit more with Hunter Dickinson, where Kofi, he's got that just raw power that when he gets the ball inside, you can already chalk it up as two. I mean, that Northwestern game last week, I think it was Northwestern, he had like six and ones. He was 16 of 19 from the floor. And in the Big Ten, even against these lesser teams to do that is so incredible. I think I'm going to lean Kofi, but it truly is 1A, B, and C between those three. Yeah, I I guess... The reason why I'm I'm picking between Edie and, and Cokeburn and not Dickinson is just because of, like, the overall teams. You know, I, and that's not a shot at Dickinson. It's just, like, part of reality, I guess. And, like, he might be slighted on some awards because of how his team has played this year, and it's not necessarily his fault. Well said. Do any of you guys have anything else you want to – throw out their basketball-related before we get into other news. Yeah, I do. Um, I wanted to give credit to one guy because I, I've watched him a couple times recently, and I think he's very undervalued, and we were just talking about big men, and none of us mentioned his name. And, but I think that Marcus Bingham from Michigan State is an absolute monster. He averages two and a half blocks a game, almost a steal per game, only around six and a half rebounds and, and ten points. So he doesn't put up the stats that, you know, the guys that we were talking about do, but I think he's a very undervalued player and is just an absolute beast for the Spartans. And and he really, when him and Dickinson went head-to-head, he that was Dickinson's toughest matchup of the year so far, even considering the Purdue game when he faced the, the two big men there too. My last thing about this week, Wally, and I, I texted this to you, I wish, I, I've tried to look it up, I can't find it. I wish there was a way or somebody who tracked teams that foul three-point shooters because Ohio State has to be number one on that list. It's unbelievable the amount of three-point shooters that that team fouls. It's at least once a game, which is ridiculous. It's at the point now where as soon as the foul happens, I know I'm typically 10 seconds ahead, I like look to my phone and almost wait to see Hayden's response to more than anyone else. It's the same. You also have the thing with one-handed catches against Ohio State in football that you have like this in like belief instilled belief that it doesn't happen against anybody else I have watched enough college basketball games that I have seen teams not foul three-point shooters like this it's and I'm not saying they're not fouls because they are but like how does it keep happening it's like once a game what are they teaching them this is going to be my homework assignment for the week. I'm going to look as everywhere I can and see if I Dude, can find. Dude, I that have stat. tried. I have. I have tried hard. I don't care. I'm. Gonna, I'm going to keep trying to. Hopefully, next week we can give you at least numbers, even if it's 
a little bit, could be a little wrong. But for now, how about you shoot us these uh, games this next week, and then we'll look and see if there's any matchups worth talking about. Absolutely, my friend. Tomorrow, or no, tonight, Iowa is at Maryland, and then Purdue is at Michigan in what Casey says is a must-win game for Michigan. Saturday, Rutgers is at Wisconsin. Indiana is at Michigan State. Ohio State travels to Ann Arbor, and Penn State is at Minnesota. Sunday, Maryland is at Purdue. Northwestern is at Illinois. Nebraska is at Iowa. Tuesday, Ohio State comes to Columbus. Michigan State is in State College, and Wisconsin goes to Assembly Hall to play the Hoosiers. Wednesday, Illinois is at Rutgers, and Purdue goes to Evanston to play the Wildcats. Thursday, Minnesota is at Purdue, and Michigan goes to Iowa City. Not too many ranked matchups this week, but I, you know, I don't know if if maybe, I, and I think I might have fell into the trap too during football season, where I just think this conference is deep and good, and you could really lose any day, especially in basketball. But like, there are some ranked versus not ranked matchups where I would be concerned. Obviously, Michigan Ohio State Saturday, that's a rivalry game, and you know anything can really happen there. Michigan State going to Penn State, Wisconsin at Indiana. We know how hard it is to win at Indiana. And then Rutgers hosts Illinois. Rutgers, Hayden was listing the wins that they have so far at home. They get to host Illinois. And then Northwestern is a very underrated team in your guys' eyes. I I don't think that I'm not as high on Northwestern as you guys are, but they get to host perhaps the best team in the country or conference. So uh, it'll be interesting to me. What I'm most looking forward to is if the ranked teams can avoid the unranked losses this week. Well, and there's 11 of them, 11 different ranked versus unranked matchups. And because of how deep this conference is, and you look at the matchups, there realistically could be three or four losses here for ranked teams. And I know you just said that you're not as high Northwestern as Hayden and I am. Because I'm really high on them, and I'm, like, pissed off at them. Like, I'm actually angry that they played so poorly early in the year because they're good enough to be an 8 or a 9 seed in the tournament. And the fact that they didn't have that happen is really aggravating to me because you can see a few years ago how passionate that fan base is when they have the chance to be passionate. And that's why this is going to be my last week. Nebraska, I'm off of you. I'm done for every sport trying to will you to be good. This is me willing Northwestern because I truly believe whether it be Illinois or Purdue, Northwestern's going to get a win this week. And if they do, all of a sudden, they can get bubble hunting down the stretch here, a very manageable schedule. Which one are you taking, though? You you having them win at Illinois or at home against the best team in the, in the conference? I'm going to say Illinois because I think they should have beat them in Northwestern about two weeks ago. They look great, and it just, again, it takes Kofi Coburn doing unbelievable things. I Again, I'm willing this to happen. If I had to bet them individually, I probably wouldn't take Northwestern either one, so take that for what it's worth. Anything you're looking forward to this week, Hayden? Not the Ohio State-Michigan game, because Michigan's probably going to win at home, so I'm not looking forward to that. Michigan will should be favored in that, by the way. I think they will be a home favorite. They should. Oh, I was uh, looking at the BPI for that game, and Michigan was favored. I think they're at like fifty-four percent. They got it. It's got it. It screams like five and a half point favorite, doesn't it? Yeah, and and you would think if Purdue, that seems high, it yeah, that may be like a I don't know, like a three and a half or something. But you would think if Purdue is only a three and a half point favorite at Michigan tonight, that Michigan would probably be favored against Ohio State. Even though I kind of surprised me if Michigan ended up winning anyway. So, Ohio State fans should do the unspeakable. You should be rooting for Michigan to win tonight. So that way, when they play Saturday, they already got rid of that big home win. So then Ohio State can just come in and and win without, you know, coming off a loss. You're playing with fire, though. Because what if that's what it takes for Michigan to finally get the spark that you and I keep calling for? Then I'm going to jab my eyes out, Wally. Well, we keep saying it week in and week out. I I'm just going to tell Casey I told you so at that point. <laughs> we keep doing it week in and week out, though, and talking about how big this week is for Michigan. And it seems like they've done just enough to keep them big weeks. 
hasn't been enough to make it so they're for sure in. Haven't been bad enough for us to stop talking about them. But this week between Purdue, Ohio State, and Iowa, you'd have to imagine, again, same number as before, got to win two out of three. Yeah, I was just going to say, they cannot go 0-2 these next two games. If if they do, I mean, we may as well just write them off for the rest of the year. I wouldn't write them off yet, but it's so close at that point. You're on, like, life preservers. I, I Dude, you can get tickets for the Michigan game tonight for five bucks. I saw that. I saw that. I didn't know if they were getting any weather up there or anything, but I did see that. That's interesting. You guys good to do other news? What do we think? I know, Casey, you turned it off, which, unfortunately, for you. What do we think of Chris Holtman's decision to go with Malachi Branham down the stretch two, no, two or three possessions in a row in uh, a tie game? No, well, you know, winning by two and then a tie game. And then the decision to go for the win with arms coming off a three in the corner, which is not typically his his play style, you know, he's that spot-up shooter. He's not coming off screen sprinting 100 miles an hour to hit a three. Just, intra- I, I'm not saying he's wrong, but it feels dirty going away from Liddell down the stretch in favor of Branham. And I, and I think Branham is going to be really good, and I think he is pretty good right now. But, like, giving him those shots in that moment, I, I like I said, I'm not disagreeing. It's easy to look back and say, oh, you didn't give the ball to Liddell. It just seems weird to me. No, so if if I recall, Malachi was getting basically whatever he wanted for most of the game. He was getting, you know, they would, yeah, it was him and Zed Key would like do that little pick and roll two-man game up top and he would get to the bucket fairly easy. And I think that, you know, we mentioned, I I think it was off air actually, Wally, the the big man for Rutgers. What's, what's his name? Clifford Amori. Yep, yep, you're right. You know, he he was he's big and he's really athletic and I don't know if he was guarding Liddell at that point, but even if he wasn't, you know, Ron Harper Jr. was on Liddell for a little bit there too and you know, he's got length and and size and he's pretty quick too. So maybe they felt like Liddell didn't really have a good matchup and you know, maybe well, obviously thought that Brandon was their second best option because he is, but so I, I don't think I can really disagree with the with the call. Again, I didn't watch it. I turned it off at the four-minute mark, so re- really didn't have a good feel of how the last four minutes were going. See, I – like, I, okay, I get what you're saying. I get it. But I completely disagree only because they both – I mean, they, Liddell and Branham were both shooting 50% from the field. They both had relatively the same points. My thought was, live, live, Liddell struggled at the foul line in this game. And that's been a thing, not usually this year, but in previous years. And in the back of of the coach's mind, I'm wondering if Rutgers fouls EJ Liddell, is he going to be able to put in two free throws? And I think, at least my personal opinion, when Malachi Branham's at the free throw line, I am much more confident they're going to go in than when Liddell's at the free throw line. And so I don't know if they thought maybe if, if they got fouled, they wanted him at the line instead of, of Liddell. I don't know, but I don't care who's guarding Liddell. He's your best player. I'm going to roll with him and live with the results, man. He He has a knack for making some tough shots. And in these end-of-game situations, if he's put in that situation to take these, you know, turnaround baseline jump shots or, you know, contested threes, we've seen him make that. And we've seen it, we saw him make it against Purdue, and we saw him even make it earlier in the game, some tough shots. I just struggle with the concept of going away from him. And going away from him to somebody that's been struggling this year to shoot the ball and in a spot, like you said, that he doesn't typically do it. I know you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you're Holtman. It's either... You didn't adjust to your best player missing in his shots and create something for someone else, or it's what we're doing right now. Get the ball in your best player's hands. I, I think it, I probably do agree with you though, Hayden, because you gotta. I mean, you gotta live and die with your guy, and I think that you have to give EJ the ball there. Oh, look, I mean, looking at the box score, 
it is obvious and apparent to anybody who watches or who knows a, a lick about basketball that Liddell and Branham should be taking, I mean, more than a majority of your shots. They're, they are your two best offensive players and your two best guys to score. Casey talks about the length of, of Rutgers and how that affected Ohio State. You just look at the box score. Zed Key was 4 of 12 from the field. Is he a 4 of 12 shooter from the field? No, he is much, much higher. I mean, he is always... 50 percent, maybe sixty percent from the field, and that just shows you, you know, what Rutgers was, what they were dealing with, with with Rutgers size. You know, an underrated aspect of this, and and I got into an argument with an Ohio State fan about this this past week, who said Michi Johnson isn't good and shouldn't be on the floor, and I got in an argument with this guy. Look, I don't think Michi Johnson is polished. He's not polished. He's a freshman. Last year was a, was a, an early enroll year that he got halfway through. It doesn't count towards eligibility. He is a freshman playing basketball right now. And when he got hurt, that game changed. And I don't care what you think about what he does uh, offensively if he turns the ball over. He plays pretty good defense, and he plays hard, and he's quick. And Ohio State missed that down the stretch, especially when when Rutgers turned up the pressure. And I mentioned before, credit again to Rutgers, because Clifford Amori, he is the most hidden undercover gem because you talk about Big Ten bigs, we talk about the five, six guys we mentioned before. He is another guy that's super raw right now. I mean, this is a guy who hasn't been playing basketball a long time, and he's in his second year there, incredibly long. He's not even fully grown into his body yet. Give him another year or two, and God, if Rutgers can keep finding these scorers like Baker, like Harper, this Rutgers team is going to be very good. But, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have anything else to say. I'm just frustrated. Let's get into some other news now instead. Michigan, last year's winner of the nation's best assistant coach, Josh Gaddis. He has left the program to go to Miami. He left under less than perfect circumstances and had a few less friendly words for Michigan and the staff. But it has left Michigan needing to replace both their offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators this offseason. And this week, they did both of those things. As for the offensive coordinator position, Matt Weiss, who was formerly the quarterback coach, was promoted to be co-offensive coordinator to join offensive line coach Sharon Moore in the role. And then Michigan as well hires Jesse Minter as their defensive coordinator, former Vanderbilt defensive coordinator, and was also an assistant and was also coordinator with the Ravens for a few years as well. What are your guys' initial thoughts? A lot of Michigan news this last week in football. Guess it's probably too early to tell too much, but initial thoughts. First, kind of reacting to the Josh Gaddis departure. I know some people were blowing it out of proportion and saying they lost the Broyles Award winner and this, this, and this. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't think Gaddis was that great even though he won the top assistant this past year. But you could clearly see that this was not the speed and space offense that Josh Gaddis came to Michigan and, and really sold to Harbaugh. This was more Jim Harbaugh, hard-nosed football, run the football right at you, play action off of it kind of offense. So while Gaddis you know, got, got the award, I don't – truly think that um not not to say he's not good but i i don't think that he should take all the credit for the success that michigan had offensively last year and then promoting within at uh and matt weiss so sir moore from what i've heard is going to be the primary play caller matt weiss will just have the what I, I will get into my spiel on that in a second i think that's horrible oh okay Matt Weiss is, is the, you know, just a co-offensive coordinator. And, um, you know, I saw an article, I forget, gosh, who, who wrote it. But basically, J.J. McCarthy called Matt Weiss a genius and says he's like the smartest coach that he's ever worked or worked, played under. So kind of nice that they have – I always like it when guys get promoted within. I I, I don't know. I just think it's kind of a – I think it's less, what am I trying to say right now? It's less. Like, instability? Like, yeah, more stability. More stability when you promote within and less learning for, you know, the kids in the offseason and stuff. But, and that's why I kind of think that Michigan went with Jesse Minter as their defensive coordinator as well. He was with the Ravens. He was with John Harbaugh for a long time. Finally got his first D.C. job at Vanderbilt. 
last year and was absolutely garbage. So, you know, I, I would assume he runs a lot of the same stuff that Mike McDonald did when with Michigan last year since they both came up through the Ravens. And, uh, you know, Jesse Minter has more defensive coordinating experience than what Mike McDonald did coming into Michigan last year. So that really doesn't mean anything. I thought Mike McDonald was really good hype man as well as a defensive coordinator. So a couple of interesting moves, like Wally said, we, you know, time will tell. Hayden, let us hear it because you gave quite the reaction when you said Sharon Moore was going to be calling the plays this year. At least that's the belief right now. Why are you so against that? Yeah, first, okay, let me just say, I, I think I agree with Casey. Losing Josh Yass is not like a huge deal, but he, he was a good recruiter. So I, I, I think we have to like kind of look at that aspect of it too. He, you know, just looking at his all-time commits, he had two just at Michigan the last couple of years, A.J. Henning and Tyler Morris. Tyler Morris, of course, being a, a 2021 recruit, so he hasn't played yet. Um, but before that, had a couple commits to Alabama, and I understand recruiting to Alabama is like committing, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, I think that is a little bit of an impact to the Sharon Moore stuff. I have nothing against this guy as a person. I don't know him. All I know is I think he played at Oklahoma uh, as an offensive lineman. My problem with having your offensive line coach calling plays is huge. I don't think it works and I do not like it at all because offensive line coaches have to make so many adjustments throughout the game that basically every time the offensive line comes to the sideline when they're off the field, they have to make adjustments to what the defense is doing. And I understand that maybe that could be a benefit. I don't think it is because you're focusing so much on that, that calling plays on top of that makes that extremely difficult. We had that Ohio state had that same thing when Ed Warner was calling plays and that was an absolute debacle. I mean, that was horrible. So I don't know, maybe this will work out. I just think that's a, a, a bad uh, precedent to start. I, I, I don't like offensive line coaches calling plays in addition to their responsibilities during the game. It's amazing how achievements and results change our opinion on what happened before because you guys remember during what week six, week eight, that stretch, we had been so kind of critical of what Michigan had done play calling. And had they not gone on to beat Ohio State to win the Big Ten championship game, go to the playoff, I don't know if we're talking about Josh Gaddis the way that people are talking about Josh Gaddis right now. And it, I, I think that there's something to be said about hiring within right now because of the new culture of the transfer portal that if you are hiring from within, it does almost offer that, hey, we're not going to leave you. We're going to have your back for all four of your years while you're here at Michigan. Don't be like everybody else and transfer out because we're in this for the long haul too. That part I like, but it's just a little nerve-wracking going in that neither have ever been a primary play caller. But I guess the whole reason I brought this up is I can't imagine the fall-off from the Michigan style of offense being that harsh, regardless of who's calling plays. No, I, well, I, I agree. I just, I think it will be very challenging for an offensive line coach to, to call plates as well. I just think that's such a key element of a game and in-game adjustments. I think it makes it really hard. You know, I would, I, I don't care if they wanted to give him the co-OC tag just to, get him a little pay bump or get him whatever and have Matt Weiss call plays, whatever, fine. But to have him be the primary play caller, I just think, personal opinion, I think that's very tough. Casey, you said it before. Is it a, a for sure that he's calling plays? Do we know that yet? Well, that's what I've heard. Um, and I I think that, you know, with the whole promoting within thing, that Sharon Moore would be the next in line because he was the co-OC last year with Gaddis. And I remember that, um, you know, that was kind of a big deal because Gaddis worried about his job, this, this, and this. And so I, I just think it just, kind of, you know, kind of naturally, it's going to be Sharon Moore. And I, I I can't remember if I read an article or if I, or if I was watching a video, but I, everything I've heard is going to be Sharon Moore calling the plays. Can I ask you guys both a question here, since you guys are both actually X's and O's coaches here for us? Now, because of the style difference of Michigan, because they're more the old-school pro-style offense, 
where when Ed Werner was there for Ohio State, it's more the power spread, more the college style. Do you think that that an O-line coach calling the plays for a team like Michigan may actually be more beneficial because of the fact that they are going to be running the ball so much more. They are going to be more of that old school style of play calling. I I am stuck on this opinion, Wally. I think it is difficult, no matter what style what style of offense you are running. I think it is difficult to do in game adjustments as an offensive line coach, you know, with your group assignment and then translate that to the whole team. I know you have other coaches that are very talented and do things with other position groups, but I, I just think that's that's super, super hard. I'll die on this hill. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I don't really have much input on this. Time will tell. But I, d- I did want to mention one thing. Uh, you know, whoever's calling plays, whatever, they're going to have a lot of talent to work with coming back this year from Michigan offensively. So that 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 is obviously key and really interesting to see who. Uh, so Matt Weiss was the quarterback coach last year for Michigan. And this offseason for Michigan is going to be one of the more interesting offseasons in terms of quarterback talk and who we think is going to be the leader going into the the season next year. So it'll be interesting to see if they uh, decide to go the J.J. McCarthy route if Matt Weiss is on that train. Michigan is going to have a lot of talent on offense to work with next year. But Michigan's defense, much like a lot of the others, are going to be losing quite a few NFL pieces in Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo, which led us here to think about the 2023 NFL prospects list and what that might mean for the Big Ten. So CBS just released the top 20 of the 2023 NFL prospects list, and only two players in the Big Ten appeared there. Jackson Smith and Jigba at four and C.J. Stroud at number two. So what I'm asking from you guys is... Who do you have as sleepers? I don't care if it's one or two, three. Give me your favorite players about guys that maybe everybody is sleeping on right now that come next year, everybody's going to want in April. First off, there is no way that there are only going to be two Big Ten players in the top 20 come this time next year. There's just no way. There's a lot of new talent coming through the Big Ten this this coming year, and there's, you know, people are going to merge like, David Ajabos or Aiden Hutchinson shooting all the way up to the first round and, you know, Garrett Wilt, you know, there's good. All right. So I'll just get into my few that I got because I kind of gave it away there. So a couple guys that I could see sneaking into the top 20, number one guy is Rakeem Jarrett from Maryland. And he kind of reminds me of like a Garrett Wilson. That's kind of why I, I said that. Um, I think he's really, really talented. He was a five-star guy. It was Kind of a head scratcher when he committed to Maryland, but he's very, very good. Next up, I Paris Johnson, the offensive tackle, well, hopefully a full-time offensive tackle now for Ohio State because I think that's where it's better. I think he's going to have a great season this year for Ohio State, and he's got the size to be an NFL offensive tackle, as does Peter Skaronsky, the offensive tackle from Northwestern. And um, my research on this is completely based on clicking a few mock drafts from the 2023, uh, whatever, the people that have mock drafts out for 2023 already. So take this with, you know, I don't know, Peter Skaronsky, so he might be a dud. And then Riley Moss, cornerback from Iowa. I do know him because he was on my Iowa Hawkeyes team. You know, good-sized cornerback, and maybe he could sneak his way up there. One that immediately popped in my head actually plays for Penn State. I'm surprised nobody said this because Penn State's uh, secondary was pretty good. Joey Porter Jr., he was pretty good for Penn State this year, and he's he'll be back. He'll be draft eligible next year. I, I don't know if he's going to be a junior or a senior next year. I'm not sure. But he is definitely somebody that you know I'd keep my eye on. Obviously, Paris Johnson Jr. going to his, his actual position as a tackle I think will be very good for him. Outside of that, I... Shit, I don't know, Wally. That was a tough question, I feel like. Yeah, I don't know. Those are just the first two that, that really came to my mind. Well, you guys stole two of my four, so I won't harp on them, but Paris Johnson and Joey Porter Jr., I think that without a doubt, those are guys that are going to be late day one, very early day two picks at the worst. But two other guys that I was surprised. You mentioned Rakeem Jarrett there, Casey. A lot of people, you guys know my weird infatuation with Dante Demas, but even with his ACL tear, 
there have been rumored reports, and you know these rumored reports, we don't ever know how true they are because the draft hasn't happened, but people believe that he was going to be a second-round pick this year, even with the injury. So I think with Rakeem Jarrett opposite him, with Talia throwing him the ball, why can't Dante Demas make a little bit of a climb there as well? And in my last one, I don't know if he'll get as high as first round, but it doesn't change how much I love him. But Sam Laporta, Iowa's tight end. Iowa just turns these guys out. And even if he's not going to be the flashy guy, that like the Kyle Pitts kind of first round tight ends, Sam Laporta screams 13-year career, 700 yards a year, good blocker, just solid Iowa tight end. So I'm hoping if he can ever get a quarterback, Maybe this is the year that he can get himself in that Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson level Iowa tight end. You know, this is kind of cheating because he just recently was in the transfer portal and is going to Notre Dame. What about Brandon Joseph? He has a chance that he could really improve his stock at a place like Notre Dame. I mean, he's not going to get that credit at Northwestern, but going from Northwestern to Notre Dame, I think that could, could possibly benefit him a ton. And everybody talks about Greg Newsom and how good he was, but he was a part of the reason two years ago Northwestern made that Big Ten championship game and was in a position to even beat Ohio State in the second half. So, just want to clarify real quick: none, like neither one of you have uh, Graham Hurts sneaking into the top twenty. I think he's coming back, and then he'll go top twenty. I was going to put Spencer Petrus, but I'm, I I couldn't quite pull the trigger. <laughs> quarterback conference right here so what it's about but unless you guys got anything that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of pigskins and nylon brought to you by tabbies.com the world's best delta edible we'll be back here next week to talk more big 10 basketball as march madness gets ever closer my final thought for you guys is simply this who day i'm rooting for the Bengals this sunday and also thank the lord ohio state is finally replacing their football turf what do you guys got for me? Do you have any final thoughts today? My final thought, I guess, is that I'm not very excited to watch Michigan get get crushed here in an hour and 45 minutes. So I don't really have any. Looking forward to the Super Bowl, I guess. Hopefully it's a good game. And I can't wait for that halftime show. That halftime show lineup is is awesome. So I actually might stick around for the, you know, half, stick around. I may still watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I may still watch the halftime show this year. I typically don't usually get some food or something then. But, yeah, hopefully it's a good game. I have two. One, Bob Saget, his cause of death was actually released the other day. He had he, he hit his head and had brain bleeding and didn't realize how severe it was, went to sleep and died. So that's how he died, uh, unfortunately. Really funny guy and America's dad, so that's that's kind of sad. And the second thing is big NBA news today. No one brought it up. I know, Wally, you're not really an NBA guy too much, but James Harden got traded to the 76ers and for basically Ben Simmons and some picks. So Ben Simmons is heading to the Nets, and James Harden is heading to the 76ers. So that's, you know, a pretty big shakeup for, you know, one of the better players in the league. Yeah, two crybabies get what they want. But the underrated trade deadline week pickup was Karis LeVert going to the Cavs, baby. They're about to get that one seed now. Hey, go Cavs. Also, weird Brooklyn now has two guys afraid to take a shot. So, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys here back next week for episode 55 of Pigskins and Nylon.